Netaporte presents. This is Pieces of Me, My Life in Seven Garments by Porter. I'm Sarah Bailey. Welcome to this special episode to mark 20 years of Netaporte, which has been all about incredible fashion for incredible women from the very start. Pieces of Me is all about celebrating the lives of women and the language of fashion. Because clothes are never just clothes. In this series, we ask incredible women the all-important question. What were you wearing at the time? Anya Heinmarch is a designer who has been with Net-a-Porte from the very beginning. A passion for entrepreneurship runs in Anya's blood. She says her mother was typing an invoice for her father's business when her waters broke with baby Anya. An ideas machine, renowned for bringing humour to the world of fashion. She started her handbag business when she was just a teenager, inspired by a trip to Italy. Marrying a restlessly innovative streak with a love of tradition is an Anya signature. Fashion is about mood-lifting happiness, giving confidence and making memories, she says. But she also knows that fashion is a mighty and influential platform. And this is something that she has used to powerful effect, most famously changing our relationship with the plastic shopping bag. As she tells us in this episode. I'm Anya Heimarch, and these are the pieces of me. I was lucky in that I came from a family that business was the sort of the normal rhetoric. It was what we talked about all the time. My father started a business at a very young age. All my aunts had businesses. So it was sort of our language at dinner. So I was kind of lucky that I knew what invoice meant and margin meant as a sort of you know, part of our natural kind of discourse, if you like. My mother would often help my father. In fact, my mother always says that she was typing in an invoice, helping my father in, in his office at the time she went into labour with me. So I think I very much was that baby in the cot under under the desk. My father had a, a sort of inventor's kind of brain. He, um, I think, actually designed the, uh, and invented the first plastic flower pot, which is in, in, before the plastic flower pot, they, the, they were only clay flower pots. And so he had a sort of an engineering background and a manufacturing background and was an entrepreneur and started businesses, which then grew and grew and sort of became a much bigger um, public company. My mother taught French. She was she's quite sort of blue stocking, quite academic. My mum, and she um, was very creative. I was always very inspired by her style. I always remember her very much a sort of seventies childhood, the sort of high waisted trousers, the sort of flared camel trousers, lots of camel coats, very thin little metallic belts, cool handbags. So there was a sort of creative background. She, my mother, always did wonderful presence that was a thing that um, she still does brilliantly so we always used to have treasure hunts for our birthdays quite frustrating just want to get your present but you had to kind of do a, a hunt for it and so they're always really fun clues and little rhymes and and everything was always when you finally got to the the end everything was always wrapped up with beautiful bows which I think was one of the inspirations behind the the bow being our logo actually my creativity comes through ideas more than being really great at drawing or particularly sort of arty in the sort of classroom I'm particularly bad at drawing, actually, which is a bit frustrating. But I've always had ideas. And certainly when I was young, I started making things from a very young age. So I would just make little wallets and little purses and little sort of ways of organising and 
compartmentalizing things and I made them out of paper and out of sellotape that was sort of my medium so I always made things in sort of 3D uh, much more than drawing them and so I think from a young age I liked things I liked organizing things and liked making things that held things so it's an early memory always been obsessed by handbags since my mother had given me one of her old handbags when I was about 16 probably and I remember how wearing that handbag how it made me feel and I think it was the combination of craftsmanship beautiful leather it was it was pigskin leather it was all hand stitched it was just a really beautiful thing and 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 how it said made me feel kind of grown up and a bit sophisticated and and so the sort of mood altering aspect of of beautiful things and and for me that's what really interests me in fashion so when I finished school, I am not about going to university or not, but I thought I'd start by, I kind of knew I wanted to start a, a business designing handbags pretty much from that, that moment, age 16, actually. And so I went to Florence knowing it was very much the home of leather, the home of markets and factories and beautiful design and saw the bag that inspired my first design. And it was a time when, you know, there wasn't EasyJet and Ryanair and people didn't travel as much. So what they wore in Italy was quite different from what they wore in the UK because there wasn't that much travel. And so therefore it felt quite foreign um, when you went there. So the, the way the Italians dressed was, was you know, kind of really different and interesting to me. And they were all wearing these drawstring duffel handbags. And so I decided to find a factory which was quite difficult in a way because I was young and I didn't, my Italian was not great. And they, you know, it was hard for them to take me seriously. But I, I did literally through the Pagine Gialli, the yellow pages, found various factories and went to see a factory. Some were red herring, some were sort of dodgy people. But I did find a factory just outside Florence who I went with some drawings and, and some samples of things I liked and leathers I liked. And they made samples for me. And I took the samples home and I had a friend of a friend who had a stepmother who worked in the office department of Harper's and Queen, as it was in those days. And they amazingly ran my bag in their monthly offer. It was a full page offer in the back of the magazine. And we sold, I think, 400 bags. I made £7,000 profit. But then later on, I did borrow some money as I went back then to build further into more products and more handbags. And I borrowed some money from my father, which I paid back fully with interest, sort of family we are. <laughs> and, and that's how I got started. As a young businesswoman starting her own brand, she featured in a glossy magazine. One of the photographs from the shoot, in which she wore a rather unassuming jumper, was the point of connection when she went on to meet her now husband. No idea who made the sweater, but I was on a shoot, so it must have been probably a couple of years or a year maybe after, because the business was was obviously running, and, and hence I was asked to, to take part talking about my, my business. And I remember the shoot in a lovely airy white studio somewhere in London. And we had a you know long day shooting and, and so on. And at the very end, the jumper was on the rail and, and the photographer said, actually put on that jumper. It's just one more. There was some nice light that was coming through one of the windows. And he took that shot, which was pretty much a sort of an outtake, really. But they actually ran that photograph in the magazine. And my husband now, my now husband, saw that photograph in the magazine and, and clocked it for whatever reason. And then when I met him a few years later, it was sort of something we we spoke about. So it was, I always call it my lucky sweater just because it was um, one of the reasons or I was wearing that when effectively it was the first kind of connection with, with my now husband. I met James with friends um, at a dinner and I was 25 and he was 37. And strangely, and I don't really believe in this, but I, I absolutely knew that I was going to marry him the moment I met him, which is sort of ridiculous. But he's, he absolutely rips the mickey out of me, doesn't take me at all seriously, um, has a 
sort of similar sense of humor. We are absolutely yin yang. I mean, we, we drive each other nuts because we're completely opposite people. We don't have anything in common in terms of, of music or films, but we get on very well and we laugh a lot. So when we met, I think that was a sort of attractive to me. And I remember he's a, he's a very kind man, he had kind eyes. I'm a great believer in the, the power of kindness and drive my kids mad when I keep saying, you know, how nice is that person kind? But actually that ultimately is really important. And I just thought he was just a really lovely man when I met him. So we sort of started seeing each other and um, it was an unusual situation in that James was a, a very young, a very sad situation, very young widower. And he had lost his wife to an operation that had gone wrong tragically six months before I met him with three small children, age one, three and four. So it was a really, really tragic situation. Uh, and one as a 25 year old that probably isn't necessarily the most sensible thing to perhaps take on. It's a, it's a big and lovely project. But it was it was for me, 100 percent. It was for me. And I think I fell in love with the children as much as as much as him. <laughs> and, and so we've been uh, married 23 years now. The eldest one is now 31 and we had two more. So the youngest is now 16. So we are this big noise group of five children as a family and um, you know most of the time it's pretty good I would say. <laughs> a common thread in Anya's fashion philosophy is how you should always aim to feel comfortable in your skin and be yourself and she made no exception for her wedding day which was absolutely not about a huge poofy gown and scratchy corsetry. Obviously, everyone's wedding dress is special to them. We got married in the south of France. Um, my family have had a, a little home there for so pretty much all of my life. So we decided it'd be fun to do something based there. And uh, it was actually disastrous weather. And we were lucky on the actual day, but it was a sort of a huge mistral running up and very windy and wet. So it was a bit sort of scary for a few days. But the actual day was beautiful. We were married in a little French church. It was a bit chaotic. And lots of friends came, which was lovely. And I didn't really want to feel like the nerdy bride. I'm not very good in the sort of the big puffy thing. It's not, not my thing at all. And in fact, I didn't even want a long dress because I'm not really a long dress person. And somehow it was James's second wedding and it just, it just felt right to do something that didn't feel too kind of puffy or bridal for me. So the dress, which I don't think I ever actually showed off because I, there was a coat over the top. So it was a dress by Anushka Hempel, who I just loved her very clean, sort of almost architectural lines. And it was a square neck, very simple sort of cap sleeve in a very beautiful kind of heavy crepe. And it was just sort of A-line, but a very sort of slim A-line down to my ankles. Incredibly, incredibly simple, but just really beautifully made. And over the top, there was a, a, a kind of coat that was a very wide boat neck uh, in a, a silk gazar. Again, the same very sort of the sort of slim A-line again down to the ankle with a sort of cut in the back. So very, very simple. I had a piece of, of vintage lace um, over my head. It was a Catholic church. I was marrying a Catholic in, in a Catholic service. So it sort of felt appropriate. But aside from that, it was very simple, actually. And I quite liked that. So it was a dress that was very me. And I think that's the point about a wedding dress. You have to just be who you are and it's the day to wear something that makes you feel comfortable and I think if you're not comfortable in a, in a big sort of frilly big thing then just you know you just need to be the best version of yourself on that day and then you forget about what you're wearing which is important and and enjoy what is a pretty important day. We went on a lovely trip with the kids to Lake Powell in the States which is amazing it's an incredible place and en route we had to transit through Vegas so when we were in Vegas we obviously we were already married but the uh, the kids um, as a laugh, wanted to book a, a, a second wedding, just I think so they could have the Vegas experience at our expense. It was actually, actually it was quite romantic. I mean, and, and we're not romantic people at all, but actually it was rather sweet because to be married with all your children was pretty special. So we had about sort of five hours notice of this this kind of prank and we had to therefore get a ring. And so we found this this ring and bought it in three seconds, which was $29. 
and I've grown to really love it actually. Um, so it's special to me. I, I keep meaning to get it made in, in sort of, you know, like a nice special precious metal and somehow I haven't got around to it yet, but it, it actually is very precious to me. So I may well do that. And it has, it has actually this sort of lightning sort of bumps in it. And in fact, there are five, so it's rather nice. So actually kind of by chance, it has sort of a little bump per child. So it's, it's a, a bit of tat that, that means an awful lot. Anya's beloved lightning bolt ring tells us a lot about how she loves to mix luxury with the everyday. Something she does with her designs, of course, but also in the game-changing campaigns she has created, which have captured the public imagination and shifted the way we behave. I'm Not a Plastic Bag was a project that was conceived back in 2007. I was approached by Tim Ashton, who's an amazing advertising man, and uh, he was working with a social change organisation called We Are What We Do, and they had brought out a book called Change the World for a Fiver. And in the book, essentially, there were lots of different actions that showed different ways of um, being considerate, if you like, to, to the planet. And action number, I'm making it up, I think sort of, you know, 27 or 40 was, um, if in doubt, refuse plastic bags. And they came to me saying, could I help deliver awareness around the subject of the misuse of plastic and plastic, the problem of plastic bags? And it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me because I had had that sort of environment, environment sort of tapping me on my shoulder, thinking, what can I do as an individual? How can I make a difference? And I suddenly realised that actually we could use our platform, if you like, in fashion. And it is an amazing platform fashion. And we could perhaps um, slightly exploit the, in those days, the it bag formula of um, scarcity and things being seeded on the right arms and so on to communicate this awareness. So we set out to design, very simply, a reusable shopping bag. It was it was fun. It was really nice. It said, I am not a plastic bag to give a very clear message about what we're trying to achieve. And we sort of launched it. It was five pounds. It was very important because it was changed the world for a fiver, the book. I wanted to do it for five pounds. But we set out to do a sort of two-tier launch. One was um, with the sort of the coolest stores in the world, the Dover Street Markets, the Colettes in Paris and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then the second tier was to launch it with supermarkets because I felt it was really important to take if you like, the conversation to the source. And we worked with Sainsbury's, who were brilliant, who were absolutely pioneering in trying to discuss this this subject and to bring it out in the open, which was brave of them because obviously they were a source of plastic bags and they, they really put a lot of energy into to making a change. So we launched this bag. It went, I mean, mad, absolutely mad. We, I think we had 80,000 people queuing up um, on the first day of launch to buy a bag. It went crazy all over the world we did different color launches in different territories and people queued up overnight in japan people were around six different blocks in hong kong 30 people stampeded a shopping mall in taiwan and went to hospital it was i mean obviously we stopped at that point but awareness we did get and i think the point of the project and the reason i'm proud of it um, because it was you know it's complicated to do very complicated but it made a difference and so the, re the british retail consortium say and i hope i'm getting the numbers right but that before the i'm not a plastic bag project uh, in the uk approximately 9 billion bags were being used and after the project it was reduced to 6.1 so it really did make a difference which was amazing I'm not a plastic bag was a light bulb moment for Anya and her sustainability journey has continued with an incredible collection of products she launched this year using upcycled plastic bottles to create a range of sleek bags and purses designed never to be thrown away this time called I am a plastic bag. So that was that. I went back to my day job feeling I'd done my bit, but there was one phrase that someone said to me 
during the last project in 2007. And they said, when you throw something away, there is no away. And it's been rattling around in my brain. And I spent two years really sort of getting deep down dirty into the subject again and just really understanding how much can you recycle, visiting recycling plants, understanding how it works, what happens, you know, can you become fully circular and understanding about landfill and just really what, what's what's happening. I'm going to be controversial now. Plastic is actually quite an amazing material. Actually, it's lightweight. It's, it's, it doesn't, it's not massively harmful to make, but it's misused. It ends up in hedgerows. It ends up in landfill and it's polluting. And so let's just apply common sense. And so that really is what the project was about. Anya has a special way of mixing the quirky with the elegant. Somehow, only she can put a pair of cartoon googly eyes on a sleek cross-body bag and make it the coolest thing. But it's not just witty logos and surfaces that interest her. She likes to apply her playful imagination to the very structure of her designs. So I've always loved humour in fashion, partly because I think that, you know, we're not saving lives by making fashion, fashionable items to sell. We are about making people feel good. I think that's important. And celebrating craftsmanship. And those two things are really, that's my sort of starting point. I always like a bit of a smile because I think, why wouldn't you? I mean, that's that's a really nice outcome of fashion. I mean, it should either make you feel confident, put a smile on your face or give you a memory. Those things are important. So we've always enjoyed playing with sort of making the everyday special. So the Anya brands, as we call them, which are taking sort of everyday graphics of high street or or rather sort of, you know, supermarket emblems, things you've known all your childhood, which kind of give you a little smile in a way, and yet making them in the most beautiful hand beaded way so that there's something, you know, really extraordinary about them through the craftsmanship. But when they're beautifully, beautifully beaded, they are precious little works of art. In fact, some of them, I'm so proud to say, some of them are actually in the permanent collection of the V&A, actually the Victorian Albert Museum in London, um, which is a very special thing for me. But the crisp packet clutch, as we call it, was an idea that was just really looking at the beauty of beautiful sculptural shape. I mean, a crisp packet, if you strip off all the kind of sort of graphics, is, is a, a beautiful thing. It's sort of very liquid in the way that it sort of moves and so on and reflective so we wanted to effectively kind of cast one in a way so that you you have this beautiful thing that you can hold the bag is made of I think about 15 different molds so it is literally a piece of sculpture but it is very very fluid and yet quite easy to wear because it's just plain silver or plain gold and they, they've sort of become the kind of the red carpet bag I mean we've had more Oscar winners and BAFTA winners and, and it's really become a sort of bit of a lucky symbol actually so there's a lovely story actually about Zaha lovely Zaha Hadid who sent me a note saying Anya I love that bag send me one <laughs> so I sent her one and and she then the next day sent it back and I was I was a bit upset I was like Zaha what happened and she said doesn't fit my phone so unbeknownst to her I actually commissioned another set of molds for a new sized one because I always think of it as Zaha's bag because you know, a very sad situation before I got to deliver it to her she died it was very Zaha it's very sculptural and very sort of fluid in that way so it's one of our absolute best-selling most precious pieces and so yes yeah, so that bag is is a very lovely thing and plays to all of the things that I love craftsmanship humor and a very beautiful piece that stands the test of time that hopefully makes you smile. Anya's world is all about celebrating the power of female friendship, as she tells us in her next piece, which is also a tribute to her mother's fabulous 1970s fashion sense. I have three Aussie Clark dresses, and they are things that I spent quite a lot of money on. They were vintage when I bought them, obviously, and 
they are things I go back to again and again and again and again. I've worn them, I mean, I'd probably say not quite hundreds of times, but but pretty much. And I think if you do that price per wear, they're good value, despite the fact that I spent a lot of money on them. I love that 70s vibe. It probably goes back to my mother and that, um, you know, the one is a kind of caftany one. There's another one which is high necked, but has this really sort of beautiful sleeve. And there's another one that's a sort of green in the sort of moss crepe, um, which is really beautiful as well. But the one that I wore on the night that I gave a dinner to celebrate buying my business back, which is an incredibly um, special moment for me. Um, we, we had sold part of our business a few years previously and I missed it. I missed I missed running it. I was still working within it, but I missed running it and I wanted to kind of get my arms around it again. And so I, I did. And it was a really big challenge to achieve and it was a really special moment to celebrate. And so I gave a dinner a room full of, of I think, like-minded women that I think have the same sort of values as, as I do. And I wanted to thank them, actually, because I think that girlfriends are so incredibly important. And I think as you get older, you realise the value of girlfriends. Often people think that girlfriends are catty and competitive. They're not. They're there for you. They stand by you. They... They're, you know, they're, they're absolutely the foundation of, of, of who I am, actually. And, and I am very lucky to have lots of very special girlfriends who are smart, kind women. And when, when the chips are down, they're, they're right there. So it was a really lovely moment to say thank you to my girlfriends and to just to mark that moment. So I wore this Aussie dress and I remember thinking, should I buy a new dress? Maybe it's the moment for a new dress. And I thought, you know what? Actually, this is absolutely the moment, not for a new dress. It's the moment for the thing you feel the nicest in, that it feels right not to keep buying new, as I touched on earlier. And I think there's something rather lovely about something that's timeless. It's kind of cooler, honestly, than just the new, the new, the new. And so um, I chose that dress and I was very happy with my decision. Anya's next item is a jalaba, the unisex North African robe, beloved by Anya as the ultimate in comfort dressing. And perhaps, unexpectedly, the perfect outfit for a most memorable party. So I've um, chosen this jalaba. There's not very special jalaba, actually. It sort of celebrates a, a moment in time for me. And, and we had a, a family celebration, just small and, and with all the kids and, and just a, a few special friends um, a few years back in Marrakesh. And we had, a, it was a lovely weekend and we had various different little sort of dinners and fun things, lovely lunch under a pistachio tree. And, and at the end of the evening where quite late, everyone started playing musical chairs and, and painting their faces. I gave everyone um, sort of silly goodie bags of things like sort of lovely um, Moroccan coal pen and, and everyone started using the sort of the, the coal and, and painting like sort of whiskers on their faces. It was, just, it was just one of those evenings that for whatever reason was just pure happiness for me. And it was, I think everyone, I asked everyone to wear jalabas for dinner, which is quite in a way disarming because it takes away any, if you like, competition or it just levels everyone. I love I love a jalaba and they're incredibly comfortable to wear. They can be warm and wintry or they can be sort of summery and, you know, throw them on and over a bikini and, and curl up with a book. They're just a lovely garment that signal time off for me, which I think is why I love them so much. What was special, I think, about that night is that everyone was in the same jalaba and that just kind of gave a uniformity to, to the evening, which sort of had different consequences, which was quite fun. It was just quite infectious as a sort of very happy, easy natural uninhibited moment it's interesting here we are in coronavirus lockdown I can't not talk about it because it, it's so real right now and actually you do realize don't you that ultimately it you know it brings everything down the sort of the Maslow's hierarchy of need you go right back to family what matters shelter food all the real basic needs in life and and actually what was special for me was we were 
um, without thinking about it, celebrating those basic needs. And actually, it's a, it's a lovely moment and very pleasing for me, I think, to to realise I'm, I'm happy with not very much. But if you can be happy with the basics, which is family and laughter and everyone wearing the same clothes, so there's just, there's no, there's none of that stuff. If you can get that right, everything else is a plus. And I think that's probably why that evening made me so happy and the, why that Jalaba made me so happy, because it felt very... It felt very nice to feel that we'd kind of got that rooted and that everything else was on up from from there on, effectively. Anya and her brand have been very busy during the COVID-19 outbreak. They jumped into action to create washable, sustainable gowns for staff at London's Royal Marsden Cancer Hospital. Then moving on to create and supply ingenious, holster-like, hands-free bags for staff in intensive care. Fashion and having a business gives you a platform to projects that can make a difference. And that's something that's always been very important to to everyone at AH. It's very much a sort of team philosophy. We had a call from um, this amazing man. In fact, if anyone gets a chance to listen to his Desert Island Disc, you should. He's called Professor Hugh Montgomery, who is a bit of a don of intensive care. And he had tried to design many years ago this thing that he called the holster, like a holster but with a D. And essentially, when you are in scrubs, you don't have any pockets and you have a phone and you have pens and you have glasses and you have coffee money and you have you know, all the stuff you need, a torch perhaps, and you're, it's all in your pockets uh, and falling out. And, and one particular problem is that the... Um, now phones fall out and then they smash. So it means, therefore, that the ICU sort of frontline workers have to put their phones in their locker, which means that if they just wanted to check on their child going to sleep and their child's homeschooling and their parents who are worrying about them working in intensive care during COVID, they had to go to their locker and check. It meant they often didn't. And actually, just as a level of stress, being able to just quickly say goodnight to your kids and see a picture that pings through on your WhatsApp really does massively help your well-being, as, as we can all appreciate. So he had had a sort of rough idea for this holster, saying, I think, you know, we're now hitting a huge there's a tidal wave coming we need to be ready this would actually be a real help can you help me make it happen so we designed and had some made for trial 400 we delivered in beginning of april i think and they went down really well and so we um launched with the times who've been amazing actually in the sunday times a campaign to try and see if we can actually fund one of these for each of the 30,000 ICU workers. So it's very exciting. And we're making these um, as fast as we can. And it's just been lovely to see, I mean, quite humbling, honestly, to see the pictures of the ICU nurses, big smiles going, thank you, I can now check on my kids. So that's that's been a really special project to work on. The lessons Anya has learned from COVID-19 have great resonance for the whole fashion industry. I mean, obviously, it, this is a, a time to reset business, I think. And we've really spent a lot of time thinking about that you know, will we all continue to work remotely in, in a much bigger way? Will we all continue to buy digitally in a much bigger way? Let's reset the fashion calendar. Let's think about delivering in season appropriate periods. And let's think about how markdown works and how the madness of fashion and, and all the travel and the craziness and waste that goes about. How can we reset that? This is a moment for resetting. They always, um, they always say, never waste a good crisis. There's nothing good about this crisis because it's hideous for so many. But it is important, I think, to come out not as we went in. And I think it's incumbent on us, therefore, to to take this moment and to make changes on the back of it. So that's what we're working on. Who knows where that'll go, but lots of things afoot. I have so many wonderful memories of Anya from my own fashion adventures, from her amazing inventive shows where beautiful handbags might glide past you on a magic toy shop conveyor belt, or a male voice choir might burst into song to her wonderfully generous celebrations. I have been lucky enough to be invited to some of her dinners of incredible women and feel the inclusive power of female friendship. And on other occasions, I've listened rapt to environmental thinkers, recycling experts, 
who have shared inspiration and education between the courses. She really is a one-off. And while she is no stranger to making huge statements on a world stage, as a designer and a change maker, she is extraordinarily self-deprecating about her own part in the picture, which is why it has been a particular pleasure to hear her tell her story and to be able to visualize that little girl making purses and containers with paper and sellotape. As fashion resets itself for the future, we are lucky to have women like Anya Highmarch to help us navigate the past. Anya, thank you for sharing your pieces of me. Head to netaporte slash podcasts slash pieces of me to see pictures of the pieces Anya discussed today. Pieces of Me was brought to you by Porter and Chalk and Blade. Presented by Sarah Bailey and produced by Laura Hyde. The executive producer was Ruth Barnes. Original music for the series by Jack Lake and B. Parks. <laughs>